Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by Adult Christian Study Curriculum from the Lewis Center. Bring the best of contemporary Christian scholarship to your congregations in person and online small groups and classes. Our video-based curriculum encourages energetic discussion and personal reflection on a number of subjects. Studies include Journey Through the Psalms, Simply Christian, Religion and Science, Nature, Our First Way of Knowing God, and many more. Learn more and watch sample videos at churchleadership.com studies. And remember to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. How can Christian education maximize the potential for learning in both hybrid and virtual classrooms? In this episode, we speak with author and pastor Tanya Campen about the holy work of Christian education. Welcome to Leading Ideas Talks, a podcast featuring thought leaders and innovative practitioners. I am Douglas Poe, the director of the Lewis Center and your host for this talk. Joining me is Reverend Dr. Tanya Campen, the leader of Intergenerational Resources for the Real Texas Conference. She's the author of Holy Work with Children, Making Meaning Together. Our focus for this podcast is virtual Christian education. Tanya, I'm so excited that you're joining us today. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm really interested in this conversation, but I, I want to begin before we jump into sort of the hybrid virtual part by asking you, how has or is Christian education and congregations changing? Yeah, that's a great and an important question as we um, enter into this conversation today. I believe what people understand as Christian education is always changing. Um, personally, my understanding of Christian education is shaped and formed by the work of Dr. Jack Seymour. Um, who stated in his book, Mapping Christian Education, that education and faith is rooted in knowing a tradition, interacting with a community of meaning and memory, and responding out of an individual personality and moving into the world. And so there's those four really important parts of what I would call Christian education or growing in the faith or faith formation. Um, Dr. Seymour argues that Christian education is a conversation for living, uh, a seeking to use the resources of the faith and cultural traditions to move into an open future of justice and hope. And I think what's important for me in that uh, wisdom as we talk about is Christian education changing is the are the action verbs that Dr. Seymour uses that we're not stagnant while we're rooted in very specific things like scripture and tradition, we continue to interact with a changing culture, a changing community. We continue to respond out of our own individual personalities and needs, and we continue to move in and throughout the world. And so for those reasons, yes, I think Christian education is always changing. And specifically in our culture and climate today, we are reimagining what we mean by Christian education. 
for decades, we believed that Christian education was a space in the church where people came to receive knowledge and to be instructed as to how to live out their faith in the world. It was more of a top-down approach that didn't necessarily leave a lot of room for the individual or community wisdom and experience. So if the pandemic has taught us anything, and I sure hope it has, um, we've learned that we're a relational people, that we yearn for deep connections to God and neighbor as we discover ways to live out our faith in the world. And thankfully, the world continues to give us new tools and ways to do that important work. You said a lot, and there's a, a, a lot I would like to unpack, and I'm not going to be able to do it all at the time we have, but I, I do want you to maybe share a little bit before we jump into the virtual hybrid conversation. You started off with sort of the four aspects of Christian education from um, Seymour. Can you help our audience uh, for someone who goes to Sunday school every week? So how do those four aspects relate to the way they would have engaged Sunday school? Yeah, that's a really great question and uh, space for clarification. Thank you. First, I think the claim that we're rooted in knowing a tradition, you know, especially as a United Methodist, like we ground ourselves in scripture and in the tradition and wisdom of the church. So, you know, Sunday school for me, and I know everybody's experience is different, so I'll speak out of what I know. Um, traditionally for me has been going to church on Sunday um, in that small group, hearing a scripture, reflecting on the scripture, people around the table sharing their wisdom um, of how that scripture has impacted them. So we get some tradition of how they've lived out that scripture. We get some experience um, of how that scripture has impacted them. So that's kind of like how we root ourselves in the work of, of the tradition. And then, I mean, and just what I described you, I think one of the beautiful things of what one might understand as traditional Sunday school is the interaction of the community of meaning making and sharing of memories and sharing of our stories. And that's really where the wisdom, in my opinion, um, comes alive and where the spirit moves is we sit around the table and say, well, this is how I've experienced the scripture. This is what I've learned about God, or this is what the scripture is saying to me today. And in those conversations, we're making meaning and we are um, making memories as we claim those narratives for ourselves. And then the hope, I think, is always that we respond to those conversations, that we don't just leave the table and go, that was a great conversation. I enjoyed my donut and my coffee. But instead, we we leave hearing God calling us to do something different. And so we leave with this desire um, to respond faithfully, to have faithful action and to make a difference in the world. And, and we do that out of our own personal gifts. Um, at, in our own communities, in our own cultures, in our own contexts, in our own ways. So that, you know, if you can think about, you know, the United Methodist Church being a global, a global people, um, if everybody has these conversations weekly or monthly, and then they go and they respond, we've got, you know, the spirit is moving in and through so many different people around the world to do what we believe is our call to make disciples for the transformation of the world. And so I think that's, you know, what it means to move in, into the world out of these, these conversations. That's very helpful. I appreciate it. And it really sets us up nicely now to move into the hybrid virtual conversation. 
And I want to begin this conversation again by asking you sort of, um, we hear this terminology today and we all use it, but people mean different things by it. Um, when it comes to Christian education, um, you could talk about it from how you use it or which how you hear other people using it. How do you understand what it means to be virtual and how, would you, how do you understand what it means to be hybrid? Yeah, I think that's a great and important question. And I think for all of us Christian educators out there, it's important that we get clear on what we mean by those things. And if I learned anything in the midst of the pandemic, um, was my understanding of those things have has shifted and changed. So I'll kind of speak out of where I am today and I'll share some resources that has, have shaped that opinion, if that's okay. Um, for me, virtual um, Christian education or virtual faith formation are offerings that are online, whether they're synchronous as an online gathered community via Zoom or Teams, or maybe they're asynchronous where you can go um, online what, either to a website or another platform and see a playlist of possibilities where you can view videos or you can um, participate. You know, there's a guided practice, maybe a guided prayer practice or a guided jour uh, journaling practice, or maybe even um, people are gathering in an online community, like on a platform like Slack or again, Teams, where in my own time, I can go on and chat and share my reflections and hear what other people have said. So for me, that is virtual. Anything that utilizes um, an online community or online digital tool for doing the work of Christian education. I think hi, when we get to hybrid, we get a little bit less clear. And so um, I wanna be really intentional in how I, how I describe how I understand hybrid ministry. Um, Two people really shape and form my understanding of hybrid ministry. That's John Roberto in his book, Digital Ministry and Leadership in Today's Church, and then Angela Gorell's Always On. Um, in his book, John Roberto describes hybrid ministry as a blending of online and in-person opportunities. So if we look at Christian education as a whole, like as a ministry leader in my church, if I look at kind of the pathway or the plan that I map out for Christian education, a hybrid ministry approach would have some things offered online, some things offered gathered in person, and then would also offer um, some asynchronous options as well using digital tools. Um, Gorel kind of speaks into this too. She says that hybridity describes the coming together of online and offline. And I think that that interplay is, is really important. So it's not simply, um, I'm gonna hold a small group at my church and I'm gonna put a computer in the middle of the table and invite people to participate in person and then I'll bring people in via Zoom. While that is a way of doing hybrid ministry, I, I think that limits us if, if we understand that is our view. And so I want to think of it as bigger of how are we mapping out a plan for Christian education in our context that allows for this um, interplay, having online and offline gathered in person, synchronous, asynchronous um, offerings. Let's build on that for a second and we can sort of separate them because I, I think the way you described them is very helpful um, as people think about what they may be doing or not doing in terms of your descriptions. 
But community is one of the things that everyone talks about. Can you actually build community virtually? And I think people sort of can understand easier how you can build it in a hybrid option because of what you just described. But I still would like to hear your comments there. But let's start with virtual. Is it possible really to build community? Because this is sort of the, I would say the sticking point for many people. They don't feel like you can have authentic community when you're using a virtual option. That's a great question. And um, people don't often like it when I answer, but I say it depends. Um, it depends on a lot of things. I mean, can relationships be built virtually? Absolutely. Um, absolutely, they can. And research shows that they can. Now, in order to do that, we have to be very intentional. And I think that with that intentionality, we have to pay attention to, you know, why are we bringing people together online? Who are we bringing together? who's facilitating that conversation and nurturing those relationships? Um, and what is the purpose you know, the, uh, of, of bringing people together? So one of the things I've learned in, in doing this, um, and one of the things that ministry in the pandemic has taught me is you know, some of my very closest friends, I had never met in person until um, things lifted a little bit and I was able to get on an airplane. And it was crazy to think that these people I'd been meeting with almost weekly for two years and we'd never met in person. So research tells me and my personal experience tells me it's possible. When we consider how do you build relationships virtually, I think we have to be really intentional um, in how we set the space, how we guide the conversation. And with that, we also have to recognize that just as Dr. Seymour suggests, we all show up um, in our own individual identities and with our own individual gifts and learning styles. And so there may be some people out there that are like, you know what, online community is not for me and we need to honor that. But there are other people who are like, you know what, if, if it is facilitated well and there's um, a consistency to how the group meets and when the meets and what is shared and how that space is nurtured, then absolutely um, there's people out there who really do feel like they can, they can build relationships and community. So I think it's more about how we do it um, than whether or not if it works. I don't know if I answered your question. You did, and I agree with you 100%. I think the correct answer is it depends because um, what I often respond to people is you can have a bad in-person experience just like you can have a bad virtual experience. So it depends on who's setting up and facilitating the experience. So I think you're absolutely 100% correct. And you're right. People don't like that answer. <laughs> yeah. Even though it is true. Um trying to help people to have a good experience um, virtually or in hybrid. Let's talk about then teaching and some of the things that we need to be aware of. And I think this, and in reality, I do think this is the challenge is that this is so new that we're still really learning how do we teach in these different formats because we are so used to being able to teach in person 
that you just sort of take some things for granted that you can't take for granted when you're teaching virtually, um, be it synchronous or asynchronous or um, hybrid, depending on what you're doing. So and thinking about teaching and just try to help, we'll, we'll make it, you're, you're teaching a Bible study class. Um, I don't know what your favorite uh, sort of book in the Bible is, but let's say we're picking your favorite book in the Bible. So how would you set up a four-week course um, for someone if you were teaching this class virtually? Oh, goodness. There are so many possibilities. So <laughs> um, let me start with this, and then we'll see where it takes us. Okay. Um, when I think about creating or planning any type of Christian education experience, and, and specifically now virtually, I like to think about it as like different, I have different Legos to build with, right? Mm -hmm. I have different tools, I have different possibilities. And so as we we're kind of taking, taking a look at all the different Legos, we can talk about how I might shape a four week Bible study. Um, if I was going only virtual, right? <laughs> um, what I might do is, um, pick up some tools, like have some folks do some things asynchronously before they get there. I might send them a video to watch. Um, I might send them some questions in advance to be thinking about. And obviously I didn't say I'm going to send them the scripture to read. <laughs> um, those are going to be kind of my building blocks so that when we get online, because what we know about virtual ministry and I would say this is true in person too, is people have very um, specific expectations, very specific um, time expectations. And we know too with virtual ministry that there's often um, less of an attention span because there's so many shiny things like I can wash my dishes, I can play solitaire, right? Um, and so we pay attention to all of that in the virtual space. And so what I would want to do is be really clear on what am I hoping to establish in that in-person gathering that's offered online? And I'd be really clear with the people who have gathered, you know, this is the flow for our time together. And I'm going to really invite you um, into this space. And so one of the things I love to do, one of the tools in my toolbox that I found has worked really well with virtual ministry is um, Vizia Divina. Mm -hmm. And so I might take some time to put up some images for people to think on. They've read the scripture, hopefully. We'll probably read it again, just in case. Um, and so I'll probably read the scripture and then I'm going to show them some images and then I'm going to invite them to have some conversations about what image captures their attention. I found that using images that way virtually is it helps them focus on something other than my talking head. Um, when again, all the shiny things, their dogs barking, their doors ringing, you know, um, they can go, oh, I'm supposed to be looking at these pictures. And so um, doing that in a shortened time frame, then in inviting them into some conversation and then going back and I might show them the pictures again, or I might show them different pictures. So that's one of my favorite ways. But I think what I've learned in that is you really want to capture their attention and get them engaged, whether that's by looking at something, reflecting on something, and then um, listening to other people and then sharing their own responses. And virtually, I'm going to make sure that I really facilitate that conversation well, which is really hard to do, especially on Zoom. Um, 
if you have somebody who has like me likes to talk and they want to give a five minute answer, um, you really want to try to facilitate shorter answers so that you can really engage everybody that's participating in the community. And so that might be like my first small group gathering. We might do some Vizia Divina, um, some reflection on that, um, take some time for prayer. Um, and then I might send them back out. And depending on the schedule, we might meet the next week. We might not. I may say, hey, here's the scripture for next week. Here's the link to some online um, activities, possibilities, a playlist. And then here's a Slack channel. Um, I hope you'll jump on and, and chat with your friends. Um, and then maybe we gather the next week, maybe we gather in two weeks, but there's kind of the, the flexibility. I mean, just like there is in person, you could do this in person too, but online there's some flexibility of, again, like how am I building that time together? Are we going to be in person every week? And if so, what are we going to be doing and how are we going to be doing it? Now, let me, um, uh, ask a short follow-up and then a longer follow-up that is a, a bigger question. In the way that you responded, I think it's helpful in thinking about the Lego building blocks. I mean, do you do you see, and I think this is where people often struggle, that really there's an opportunity to actually um, engage various ways of um, helping people to sort of um, think about a particular text because you talk about pictures, you talk about conversation. I mean, you do small groups. And so you you have all these different sort of things that you can piece together that um, it's not that you can't do those things in person, but the tendency for most of us when we're in person is more just conversation um, and doing it. Whereas you can be more intentional in the, in the sort of the virtual um, learning sort of sphere. I mean, is that a fair statement? I think so. I mean, one of the things when I, one of the things when I think about teaching in general, um, is the need to pay attention to different learning styles, different teaching methods, different attention spans, and finding a way to integrate those in a way that is inviting to your participants. And what I would say is a gifted and experienced teacher knows how to integrate those into a lesson or a small group experience, if you will, and also knows how to be flexible. So if I show up and I get really excited about showing all of my pictures and I get nothing, I'm thinking as an instructor, you know what? that probably wasn't the most useful tool. I need to get to know my people better and I need to pay attention to how they learn um, and what teaching style, teaching method they respond to. Um, so just as we would, you know, if I was training people to teach in person, I'm, I'm gonna help them be intentional in a virtual space and sometimes even more so, because again, shiny objects, um, we, we get distracted. Um, I think for some, this is one of the reasons why um, Christian educators did amazing work and jumped right in when the shutdown happened. Because many of us had kind of been playing with this 
um, in different areas and in, in for a while. And so it was like, okay, now we get to jump in and really try some things that we've been kind of dreaming about. And so I think a good educator with time and experience can jump into the virtual world and and begin to find their way as they as they lean on what they know to be true about learning in general. Now let's go to the sort of the bigger question. Uh, many people will assume that we're thinking of adult learning. Uh, so now let's talk about children, which I know is an area that you have focused on. So if we're thinking about children and sort of these thinking about virtual learning, what advice do you have? Because I'm thinking they, of course, the attention span is even going to be shorter and that there's going to have to be other ways of engaging. So um, are there ways to actually make virtual learning work for children? Absolutely. I think, again, with intentionality and care and honoring different learning styles, we can find ways to engage young people and youth and children um, virtually. Um, one way that I know works really well is going to be more asynchronous, mm. where we put together online a playlist of possibilities around a theme. So the example I like to use is prayer. Um, maybe families can go to a website and find videos talking about prayer or modeling different ways to pray, right? There might be some music to listen to. There might be um, activities like families might choose like to do the, the hand prayer where they trace their child's hand and they show them how each finger represents something to pray for, right? So there's all these different possibilities that um, parents might choose to engage in. And then there's a couple ways that we could, you know, then bring people together virtually. Um, of course, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to bring families together and to say, hey, we talked about prayer this week. What did you learn? What prayers did you practice? It might be a 10 to 20 minute conversation, depending on the age of participants, maybe not even that long, depending on who is at the table that day, um, but an opportunity just to kind of share and celebrate. Children are really good at sharing and celebrating in person and online. Um, I often find also like small groups with young people and families really work well if it's just an opportunity for them to say, you know, like a prayer time for them to say hi, to say, hi, my name is Tanya, and I'm really excited about this thing that happened to me this week, or let me show you my stuffed animal I've been carrying around all week. Um, but to give them an opportunity to practice sharing in community, I think can be done virtually, especially with um, shortened time frame. I also think, you know, in terms of we think about the adults that journey with children to create spaces to come back. And, and I know a lot of people who tried this have tried this and are still doing it over the last several years where the family's coming together to learn about a spiritual practice. They're practicing it. And then there's online small groups or Slack channels for the parents and caregivers to kind of connect and go, okay, what's working? What's not working? What'd you learn? What'd you learn about your kids? So, um, but specifically when we invite children into a virtual space, first, we have to make sure it's a safe space, right? So we have to be intentional there to make sure either parents and caregivers are present or there's um, adults present that are watching and, and safeguarding that space. 
And we also just have to be really intentional to keep things short and focused. We're not going to be able to do like 10 things, but we might be able to do one or two. I think that um, that's really helpful because I know many people are uh, struggle, particularly with the children. And I appreciate, again, highlighting the importance of having adults present because even in a virtual, we sometimes think if we're online, then we don't have to worry about it, but it's important still for, for the safety factors. Um, we're, we're running short on time, but I have sort of two things that I wanna get to um, here before we completely run out of time. The first is something that you sort of said all along, but I'm hoping you can sort of share your insight. You've um, shared and talked about always sort of asynchronous and synchronous. Um, and oftentimes we sort of think we have to do one or the other, um, but you really have talked about sort of putting them together is more helpful, it sounds like, than separating them. Um, I, I just wanna give you a chance to say more about that. Sure. I think when we talk about asynchronous and synchronous learning, um, learning that happens in real time or live time, and then learning that happens um, in different times and places based on a person or family's um, bandwidth, if you will, is that both of those are very important and formative for Christian education. And if we can find a way to integrate or to weave those together, we create more of what John Roberta would describe as a holistic plan for faith formation. And so can you do just synchronous gathered um, offerings? Absolutely. Can you, will you maybe just have people who just go to your website and go, that's a really great playlist on prayer. I want to do all those things with my family and maybe you'll never see them possibly. But what we're seeing is that when we integrate those, when there's gathered opportunities, whether online or in person for people to engage and build those relationships and build that community, people are really hungry for that. And we're also in um, a world where, you know, we're used to streaming whatever we want to watch when we want to watch it on TV. So if I'm sitting at the dinner table with my family and I'm like, we need a new prayer, I'm going to go online and grab one. And so when we integrate those, I think we strengthen our, our presence as leaders in Christian education, especially when we know folks aren't going to necessarily come to the church every Sunday. Like, once upon a time they might have for a Sunday school conversation. Um, I think it's when we think about that too, is when we do that, there is a plethora of possibilities. I mean, even if you have, you know, three or four Legos out there, you can, I, I'm not a mathematician, but you can put them together in different configurations. And so you, I think, um, enhance and strengthen your offerings and therefore the impact that you will have on members in your community as they grow as disciples of Jesus Christ. I also want to say that that's more reflective of our current culture, that we live in a hybrid 
world. Um, the way we show up is a hybrid way of living. We're online, we're offline, we're in community, we're doing things on our own or in our own families. I think it's a more faithful way of inviting folks into the work of growing in their faith, recognizing that um, we all show up in different spaces at different times for different reasons. I appreciate that response. I think um, it's right in time and very timely. And speaking of time, unfortunately, um, we have to bring this to a close. I wish we didn't because I'm enjoying this immensely. But I, I want to close with um, many people, of course, are wondering, well, where do I get training besides um, calling Tanya up and inviting her to come teach me how to do this stuff, uh, which, I'm, you know, Tanya might be fine with, but she can't go every place all at once, um, you know, uh, unfortunately. So where can people learn to be better virtual or hybrid teachers? That's a great question. Um, you know, I'm a book person. So the two books that I mentioned, um, but all, and also John Roberto um, at Lifelong Faith Formation does webinars and um, has lots of offerings for folks who are trying to really understand this work and how to do this well. I would also say, you know, it's, I, all of us are learning. I, I laugh because the very first webinar I did probably 20 years ago now was awful. People can Google that if they want to. Um, so one of the ways we learn is by trying and asking for feedback and being receptive to that feedback. And then also, you know, following people, you know, talk about online playlists, following people online and when you go to a webinar, making notes of what did you like? What was challenging for you? Um, are there styles you want to, you want to learn from? I think um, those are the best ways. Um, and then if, if there is somebody, you know, who does this really well saying, will you teach me? Will you shadow me and um, observe me and see what you, what you see. I'm always happy to do that, but I know there's lots of people <laughs> who are very capable of guiding people who want to grow in their skills as an online teacher or facilitator. Well, Tanya, this has been wonderful. I really appreciate you taking the time to do it. And I know our audience is really going to get a lot out of it, uh, especially as we move more and more into this type of learning. Absolutely. Thank you again for inviting me into the conversation. It's an important one, and I'm excited to see where this takes the church next. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos.
Puerto Rico is part of the United States. So as a territory of the United States, we face different challenges. After Hurricane Maria, we had a huge opportunity to use Rehase as a platform to get access or have access to external resources, financial resources, to expand the work and better respond to the emergency. 